Dubomatic with the dub Come, come, fin, ice up your dance all and ice up your club Flinging down some sweet rubber dub Easy squeezy makes no riot yeah, This my sound and we bury that My sound is the cream of the crap Dubmatic Yeah, Dubmatic The original sound Fredrin Dubmatic's live and direct in a place called Toronto, Canada Dubmatic Rancho Calling, calling, Dubmatic Toronto, Canada You come out Big up, big up, big up, Dubmatic Welcome back to another edition of the Basement Sessions. I'm your host, Dub Maddox, here. And on this week's show, I'm going to do a look at part two on Studio One. Last week, I looked at the origins of Studio One, downbeat sound system, Cox and Dodd, and the evolution of the genre and music throughout from the late 50s into the 60s, hitting around 69. On this week, I'm going to be looking around 6970 all the way to 1980 because this is a pivotal time for Studio One. As the latter half of the 60s came about, he had a lot of competition from Duke Reed and Rocksteady. He was kind of waning, he was kind of losing his edge. But as the 70s hits and he starts stacking his artists, things just explode. At this point, Coxon has already been into the music business since spinning records at his mother's shop. So that's kind of early 50s, now we're into 70s. So this is almost 20 years he's been involved. I mean, he launched Downbeat Sound System in 1954. You take that as your kind of marker, then we're a solid 16 years in at this point. So he's got the experience, he's got the connections, and now he's got the reputation and the wherewithal to go ahead and just move forward. You're moving away from the rock steady, but what you're doing is you're stacking the deck. You're about to launch into one of the most momentous periods of the Studio One saga. And that's when you're bringing on Burning Spear, Horace Andy, Dennis Brown, Freddie McGregor, Michigan and Smiley, Sugar Minot, Johnny Osborne, and a whole heap of other artists and musical genres. I mean, you're starting off with kind of going into roots, but then you get the DJ and the toaster coming up. And by the end, you're going into rub-a-dub, rockers, lovers rock. I mean, they're all the subgenres are starting to happen before you move forward into the 80s and the digital dance hall explosion that will happen. But that's 15 years ahead of time. I'm going to take us back to around 6970 because the dates kind of conflict around depending where you're looking. So I'm going to say it probably was recorded in 69, 68, released in late 69 or 70 that makes any sense this is al campbell take a ride so al campbell came up with lloyd james aka prince jammy had a vocal group called the thrillers they recorded for studio one so there's the connection there now when you listen to the music you're going to know the rhythm because it becomes a classic hit to this day but done almost 10 years later let's start with this one take a ride from al campbell right here on the basement sessions and part two of our look at studio one
Take a Ride, recorded around 6970. You know that rhythm. You've heard it lots of times. Lots of vocalists have been on it, but there's one that I will say is probably the definitive version, and that's the Johnny Osborne one, and that's from 1979, almost a decade later. Truth and Rights. Same rhythm, different vocalist, and I want to play a little sample so you can kind of compare the two. Have a listen. Not your garments. The truth is there, for who have eyes to see? Partiality has no place in this judgment. Remember the words of prophecy. Children run, come to truths and rise. That's what I'm about. You know the truths and rights. Teach it to the children. You know the truths and rights. Teach it to the children that they should know. No, 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 no. Children say a little prayer. Every night before you go to sleep. Cause tomorrow is promised to no one When you think it's peace and safety Lord, it could be Johnny Osborne in Truth and Rights An updated version of Al Campbell's Take a Ride about a decade later So on part two here of our look at Studio One What I want to do is I'm kind of going chronologically I'm starting from 6970 and I'll be breaking out songs That kind of go up through the years in this decade So I'm going to play something that you may not be familiar with And later on in life he's going to be known as the Crown Prince of Reggae But at this time he's only about 12 or 13 years old Recording for his very first time for Cox and Dodd at Studio One. Now, I'm gonna play the track here. This is a song called Dennis Brown, No Man Is An Island. But what you have to remember, he is 12 or 13, but when you hear it, he sounds like he could be mid 20s, 30s. It's already got that soulful sound that he is known for. So let's have a listen to No Man Is An Island, Dennis Brown from 69. No man is an island No man stands 
man as your brother and remember each man's dream as your own now be near one another oh yes and we ought to try to be friends each man as a brother and uh, each man as a friend you can live in this world all by yourself no 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 you can't make it alone and just as sure as you try to make it by yourself you're gonna wake up and find you're gonna need somebody else no man is an island oh yes no man stands alone treat each man as a brother and remember each man's dream as your own Prince of Reggae before he wore the crown at the age around 12 or 13, recording for Studio One. Okay, we're in 1969 still, right? 70. So when it was recorded, all these were released 70, 71, 72. So Al Campbell, of course, you know the rhythm that goes on to become a classic with Johnny Osborne for Truth and Rights. Dennis Brown becomes the Crown Prince of Reggae. And this next one is one of my all-time favorite songs by a very classic group, the Abyssinians, and a song called Sata Amasagana. Now, what's interesting about this one, it was actually recorded in 1969, but wasn't released until 1976. That's a long period of time for a classic like that. I mean, that is one of those, you know, put it on the top of the mountain kind of iconic classic songs that will never, ever go out of style. So apparently what happened, it was when they recorded it, they brought it to Cox and Dodd. He wasn't feeling it. He didn't think it had commercial appeal, so he shelved it. Why is that? Probably because he just came out of rock steady. I mean, you just heard Dennis Brown and Al Campbell. They're kind of more of an upbeat thing. This song is completely different. I mean, you're already, it sounds like it's 1977, because it is a deep, heavy roots track with a lot of spirituality, biblical references, and more. That might have just been too much to handle for him at the time. So what did they do? The band, that is. 
they bought him out. It took two years to save up the 90 pounds to actually get the song released from Cox and Dodd. Finally free to release it, which they did years later, they put it on their own record label called Cinch Records, and it became the anthemic hit standard. We can call this a, a reggae standard, much like jazz has jazz standards, this is a reggae standard. Now a little bit of history for you is that who's playing bass on this? Leroy Sibbles. And I was talking about on the first episode that Leroy Sibbles and Jackie Me Too kind of spearheaded and handled all the business of Studio One in the studio, picking the artist, auditioning the artist, helping with the arrangements, playing on them, getting the musicians together. And here's a case where Leroy, in a lot of times, will be on the albums, and so is Jackie Mattoo, but he's on this one playing bass as well as singing backup harmonies. So let's take a listen to Abyssinian Satamasagana from 1969, released in 1976. <laughs> the obsidians satabasa gana here on the basement sessions and now we're look at studio one part two next song i'm going to play you is kind of completely different and actually falls more in line with the al campbell and johnny osborne and dennis brown tracks i played earlier and less resembling 
the Abyssinians track I just played. And this is a group called, well, they originally called the Renegades, and they studied with Joe Higgs at the same time as the Whalers. Well, they became the Wailing Souls. And the song I'm going to play is one of my favorites from them, is Row Fisherman Row. I mean, it's just, it just swings. Basically, it's got a swing. It makes you feel good. And this is from 1970. You hear where we are? We're only at 1970. I've played a couple cuts that recorded in 69, released in the 70s. This is from 1970. We haven't even got to 72, 73, 74, and all the other ones. But let's have a listen to the Wailing Souls, Row Fisherman Row. <laughs> Fisherman Row from 1970. Larry Marshall. He's known, but he's not that known. And what I like about this track from 1972 run Babylon is it actually is much more reflective of the Abyssinians, Satamasa Ghana, where it's a 
a deeper, heavier roots vibe, and it just has something about you that grabs. And that's what you're always looking for in any type of song, something that catches your ear that you can relate to. It might be just physically, or the, the sonics of the song, or the way the vocals are sung, the lyrics, the music, whatever it is, there's something about a song that you love that attracts you. And this is one of those for me. There's not a lot of information about him. I mean, he was a singer. He actually came up and worked with, uh, his inspiration is Benny King. He worked with Prince Buster, worked at Studio One, and then actually became an assistant engineer to Sylvan Morris, the man behind pretty much most of the hits from 68 on in Studio One as the recording engineer. Well, I'll get to him in a little bit, but right now let's play Larry Marshall, Run Babylon from 72. run Babylon from 1972 so now we're about two years into let's call it the third year of the 70s decade so we've already heard a few classic tracks and some artists that will become legends 
Now, one of the other things I want to do is showcase toasting because this becomes a very prominent and takes center spotlight as the decade progresses. But one of the earlier ones from Studio One is Prince Jasbo in a song called Jaw Dread, back from 1972. Let's take a listen. Rather be still and no jaw, for no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. While I play my musical this real exclusively, it's a real hot sculpture. And when I really tell you, and when I tell you why we'll never compel you, and when I tell you that I just only come to mail you, and when I tell you about the whole lot of them, and when I tell you about the remedy of them. And when I tell you about the highly higher them And some of them say I dread Ja, 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 hyan Ja, 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 lion Ja, 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 a jungle For if a jungle make we mongo And if a jungle make we mongo And make we mongo, make we mongo Come make we mongo in the jungle All that of them, they keep on rocking round the bend to tell a friend. Way booga booga, sound from Aruga, we drop center. Ja 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 dread, ja 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 dread, 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 ja hyan jungle. And when I tell you, we feel mongle. I make we mongle, make we mongle, make we mongle, make we mongle in the jungle. I tell you. And when I tell you, I will never compel you. Way booga booga. Sound from Aruga. Mommy, dad, I drop center. And when I tell you, son will never surrender. Good gosh. Look at that. I'm 
1972's Prince Jazzbo, and the track is Jaw Red, and it's on the Love Me Forever rhythm, which will go on and be done many, many times throughout the years. For this next artist, there's so many tracks I could have played, but really have to focus on the ones he did with Studio One. And the track I want to play is from 1972. It's one of his earliest, but this is more in line with what he would become now, well, at this point, but really kind of take home once he went on his own and worked with Jack Ruby in a few years' time from now, in 1975, when he put out his first album, Away From Studio One. Now, the track I'm going to play is called New Civilization. It's it's haunting. It's beautiful. There's something about it. It's plaintive. It reaches right into your ears and grabs a hold and doesn't let go. And one of the characteristics of the Burning Spear sound is how raw and simple it is. Not simple musically, but it doesn't have a lot of accentuations such as like reverb, delays, phasers that you're going to hear on other productions. The way it sits, it's kind of in your face. And that's one of the things that I find attracts me to his music and I think for a lot of people. So let's have a listen right now to 1972 New Civilization Burning Spear. And something to keep in mind, this is part of an album. A lot of these songs would be recycled and updated later on when he went to record those first major three albums that came out in 1975 with Jack Ruby. But have a listen first. New civilization. New civilization. All over this land. Thank you. 
got his name after a military award given to Jomo Kenyatta, the very first president of independent Kenya. Now, at this point, I just want to take a quick look at the gear, the, the equipment used in the studio. Now, it's hard to find out what they had because this is going back five, six decades. So I did some digging around and I love to find out key pieces of gear or anything that might shed some light on how did they get that sound? Because each studio has a sound. Motown, Stax, Tough Gong, you name it, they all have something distinctive about them. It's going to be the room, it's going to be the mics, it's going to be the equipment, other equipment they use, of course, the musicians and the engineer. And in this case, a couple pieces of gear that I was able to find out is that they use some early 1960s BBC Coles type ribbon microphones uh, that were also used at Federal Studio. They used also later on, they went to the German mics, the UA176. They use Sound City guitar and bass amplifiers. And if you go check them out, I found a combo uh, separately, but put together about 4,000 US for a 1971 cabinet and then a, a guitar amp head on Reverb.com. And one of the key pieces in the early days was a Collins console. And I'm guessing because what I was able to find was a Collins 212A 1950s vintage tube console. So that's probably what he used. I don't know if it's the exact model. It would have been a tube console at that time. And that's the mixing board I'm talking about there. And Sylvan Morris, who's an engineer there, was basically for 68 on. I'll talk about him in a minute. He also mentioned that they used the Hammond B3, Ampex tape recorder, a Poltec equalizer, and a Sound Dimension Echo and Reverb machine, AKG mic on the piano. Uh, and the console, which we did talk about in the first. So it was probably the Collins first, then he brought in the Langs. And the Langs were the eight channel mixers that he had put side to side. And that's when we mentioned last episode where he would take three channels for the drums, three channels for the bass, which is a lot, one channel for the horns, because that's how they got their studio one sound. So rather than miking each horn, they would just have one mic for all three and they'd have to stand around it. But that also gives you this great tonality and harmonics that you're going to get because once you put that all through one mic, depending on what the condenser mic, a ribbon mic, then it's going into the console, which is a tube mic. Then you're going into tapes so you can get the tape saturation and compression. It makes for a fantastic sound. Now, moving forward, musically is one that I can't find any information about other than it was two brothers, Owen and Leon Silvera. That's it. Now, if you have any information about them, please let me know. I'd like to find out more, but I was unable to. But it's a great track, and it's something a little rare, and I thought you might like it. Black Brothers, School Children from 1974. Everyone has gone before us now, yeah. Now we are left to 
reach there before us. Tell them we are coming home. Tell them we are coming home. We all are Ruben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Isaac, Charles, Abel, and Daniel. Absolute killer track, Black Brothers School Children from 1974. I want to play these next two tracks back to back because one of them is the first time I heard the song, but it was the dub version before I found out the original version. And that original version is Creation Rebel by Johnny Clark from 1975. You know this song, but I felt it was important to showcase this style. It's it's rootsy, it's dubby, it's heavy, it's kind of hypnotic. It's a little bit different than the Black Brothers and the Wailing Souls and Prince Jasbo and Burning Spear. They all have their distinct style and sound. So let's have a listen to Johnny Clark. I'm going to play most of the song, and then I'm going to play the King Tubby version creation dub right here. Basement Sessions, and our look at Studio One, Part 2. Now, 
for me in a cry Creation, rebel and rebel and rebel and Classic tracks from King Tubby Creation Dub and the original Creation Rebel from Johnny Clark, 1975. So earlier I mentioned Sylvan Morris, and he was the engineer behind it, but a little bit of his history is fascinating. So he started his career at the famous WIRL studio, later renamed Dynamics in 1966, went to Duke Reed for only two months, a couple months, maybe three, before he went to Studio One in 1968, but only at the age of 19. You imagine that starting at Studio One, they're in their kind of prime right now. You're 19 years old and they go, here's the keys, make a hit. Well, he did. And it'd be there where he joined the ranks of working with Leroy Sibbles, who I mentioned and Jackie McToo, to record some of the greatest reggae classics out there. So he worked only on two tracks when he first started. Here's what he had to say. What we actually do is that we would record the original rhythm, bass drum and track on one side, all the other rhythms on the other track. What we do then is play it back to the singer and then record it on another two track because we had two machines. So we would have the whole rhythm on one track, the voice on the other, and then we would probably do another mix to bring the whole thing together. Sometimes they had a tune and they wanted to do another song, so they would use the same bass line and turn it backwards. A 
lot of people don't know all the things still. The same bass, we would use it in so many different ways. We might skip a beat here, put in a beat there, but use the original format. And that's what Sylvain had to say. Interesting concept. In most cases, you're on time constraints. You might have a three hour session, six hour session, and you're expected to get these songs done and ready for pressing to get out. So it only makes sense that sometimes you look and go, well, we need a new baseline. Let's use that one, take a couple notes out, add a couple notes in, change it backwards, and there you go, another song. So there's a little bit of history of Sylvan Morris and a couple techniques that they used while recording some of these hits. Moving on next, one of the greats, Dillinger, and this is from 1975 and Natty 10 to 1, right here on the Basement Sessions with your host, Dub Maddox. They say this race is not water swift, not a water strong, but if you don't got to be the Babylon, I miss it to one in a Babylon. Yeah. I wear them serasta. I and I a sight of full dread. I and I princess well dressed. Yeah. Sound each and every hour would show up. Say ten to one down in a Babylon. Ten to one down in a Babylon. One to one down in a Zion. Mount Zion. Mount Zion. Dillinger, Natty 10 to 1 from 1975. And this kind of ushers in this next artist quite well, and that is Sugar Banat, and it's Have No Fear from 1975. Again, and he began his career at Studio One. So after auditioning in front of Cox and Dodd in the early 70s, he became the first artist to record new songs over the classic rhythms. Now, that's very important. Why? Because as time goes on, this becomes one of the new traditions. Versioning. You take old classic rhythms from the 60s or early 70s or whenever they're from and have a new singer sing on top of them until eventually it's different singers on an entire album on the same rhythm. Well, this is where it all began. 
So he's the first guy to kind of initiate this. And that's why this song is important. Economically speaking, this became commonplace. So Joe Gibbs, Channel One, all these different producers and studios started digging into their vaults, seeing what they had that was classic, seeing what they had as far as hits, even non-hits, and having new singers sing on top of them, re-releasing them. It's efficiency, it's effectiveness, and these songs just don't get old, especially when you add a little freshener on them. You're happy to hear them again. If you go to a dance and you hear them, you're going to know it and you're going to sing along, and then you're going to realize, I don't know the lyrics, but you know the rhythm. So let's take a listen to Sugar My Knot, Have No Fear from 1975. There is a message in what I've got to say to you. A merry old soul, a merry old soul was he. But old King Cole lost all his gold, and now he's trying to see. Don't put your trust in vanity, for it will let you down. Don't put your trust in vanity, or you'll be on the ground. Like Humpty Dumpty sat upon a wall, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All of his friends and the money they spent Couldn't get Humpty together again Don't put your trust in vanity For only job can help you and set you free Little Miss Mary, you're quite contrary How does it often grow with silver bells and cracker shells have no fear and that is the vanity rhythm which you know so well that actually goes back to i'm just a guy by alton ellis from 1967 that's the first incarnation of that rhythm but over the years it would be versioned more than 200 times including dennis brown linville thompson coco t prince hammer and many many more i want to showcase lone ranger because all these guys have impact much like johnny clark does in sugar by not and burning spear the djs are rising up and becoming more and more prominent over the decades. So this is the answer from Lone Ranger from 1977. Great Stones called the answer. Right now this is your answer, Dina Spanza, I would say. Yeah. 
take your soul Somebody physical remote control Said a room for rent supply We didn't say that the ball yet run out Not the dreadlocks running Me say the answer me question Me say the answer me question Coming in the morning Land land coming in the evening Kick off me door, me never did it Kick off me door, me never did it Say that he come to him rent But I didn't have a sense Say that he take it by a length Boy, coming in the morning Can't not coming in the evening Say that him send me listen He go collect the rent But I didn't have a sense So me take no fence So me tear off me brand new lens Boy, tear off me brand new lens Coming in the morning, and coming in the evening. Great souls can't the landlords that I would say. Round with Charlie, I'll be good stuff, you're running wild. If you listen to part one, I played Slim Smith's Never Let You Go, and that was from 1967. So here we are 10 years later, and I just mentioned Sugar My Not being one of the first guys to reuse classic Studio One rhythms. Well, this is another one, and that rhythm has become known as the answer rhythm, which would go on, of course, like many of the others, to be versioned many, many times. And that was the Lone Ranger version. Well, it's almost time to wrap up part two, and there's a lot of stuff I'd like to play, but I'm going to skip ahead because I wanted to play a track from Willie Williams. No, it's not Armageddon time. And the reason I'm not playing that is simply because we all know it. That's his song. It's known as him. I wanted to play something different, and this kind of highlights the end of the decade in 1979. And what's interesting is actually it's not unsimilar to the Abyssinian Sata Masagana recorded a decade earlier. This is where you bring in African rhythms, chants, soul vocals, heavy roots groove. So it's kind of, that's what I said about the Abyssinians. When you listen to this, it kind of sounds like it's the end of the 70s. This is that, I, let's call these the bookends for this show. So we have 1969 and 79, and you'll hear the similarities. Addis Ababa, the title, refers to the largest capital and city in Ethiopia. So let's have a listen to Willie Williams' Addis Ababa from 1979. <laughs>
Williams, Addis Ababa from 1979. I want to thank you for tuning in. I appreciate it. And this was part two looking at Studio One. Now, next week is going to be a special show. So part three won't be until two weeks from today. Download this episode and all the other specials plus music shows. You can visit basementsessions.com. That is B-A-S-S-M-E-N-T sessions.com. And you can join the mailing list so you'll know when there's a new show ready for you. I'll see you again next week. And taking us out, this is from 1979 as well. Freddie McGregor, Rastaman Camp. (laughs) 